0: This is my song. I just love, love, love that song. You were just listening to Elise Metallo. That's Blessed Assurance, my story. And it is a beautiful way for us to get started every single Wednesday with the Kingdom Work for Christ online radio show. Thank you so much for joining in. I'm your host, Emma Bordagama. Let's go ahead and get started the right way. Let's bow our heads, humble our hearts, and turn them towards the Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, Lord, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Lord God, thank you for this day and thank you for this topic. Lord, speak words be heard, nothing more, nothing less. Thank you, Jesus, for the privilege of being able to be here this day. Thank you for the privilege of being able to serve you in this capacity. And I just pray, God, that your will be done, especially in this environment that we're about to delve into, Lord. Please, God, we need you so badly to intervene. We need you so badly to change hearts. We are... Done outside of you, we adore you, King. Amen. Well, welcome, welcome to the Kingdom Work for Christ Online Radio show. I am so excited to be with you today. Let me tell you it's been um it's been a bit of a tough day, and I want to be honest with you because this was one of those um harder shows for me um, definitely one of the ones that I wrestled, uh, with the Lord about doing. And so, um, I, I'm just very, very excited to be in a space where, you know, it's, it's time. We've got to do it, <laughs> but, but also candidly, very nervous. So we'll, we'll definitely see how he leads and, and I'm faithful that he is going to, um, that his will is going to be done. So thank you. Thank you for tuning in. If you're tuning in for the first time, you're welcome. You're, you may be wondering, okay, what is this whole kingdom work for Christ thing? I'll don't worry. I'll tell you in a second. For those of you who keep tuning in, thank you so much. It's just been a, a, a real joy to hear from you also and how the Lord is working your life. Um, it has nothing to do with any, 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 anything I bring to the table. Um, but it literally is is him and his grace pouring day in and day out um, through this very unworthy vessel. So for those of you tuning in for the first time and you're wondering, what is Kingdom Work for Christ? Well, Kingdom Work for Christ is essentially the full-time job of inviting Jesus to take over the day-to-day. You know, a lot of times you hear about the Great Commission and you hear about going and making disciples of nations. And that is absolutely biblical and something that Jesus taught. But if we take a closer look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20, what we will see is the order in which Jesus gave his instructions and also the fullness of the instructions he gave his followers. So the context was that he had just resurrected and he had spent about 40 days on earth as a resurrected Lord and Savior of our lives. And in that context, he's about to go to the Father. And as he's about to do that, he has followers. He has these disciples that are, that are just still hanging out with him and excited, and, and they're they're also kind of confused, right? And so within that context, he has people who really believe, oh, he's, he's the real deal. He's who he says he is um, because he wasn't here three days ago, and he... Uh, Not three days, 43 days at that point. He wasn't here and he resurrected. This is amazing. It's amazing, amazing, amazing. But it also says in verse 17 that some doubted. And those people that doubted, Jesus, when he's about to give this beautiful set of instructions in Matthew 28, Jesus tells them to step away, step aside and have a seat and close their ears. Right? So at that point, Jesus is like, okay, this is clearly not for you guys. Now, some of you may be just kind of shaking your head like, that's not in the Bible. That's right. It's not in the Bible. Matthew 28 is beautiful in that even to the people who were doubting, Jesus said to all who were there, to all who were willing to follow him, not only in that moment, but for eternity, he was saying, look, guys, these are my instructions. First, know that all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. Two, therefore, go make disciples. Three, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Four, teaching them to obey my commandments. And five, know that I'm with you always till the end of the age. You see, the Great Commission of Matthew 28 is not just about going and making disciples of nations, but it's about having the Alpha and the Omega of that Great Commission. The beginning of that Great Commission is Know the Lord's authority in heaven and on earth is Jesus's authority. And the the end, the omega of that great commission is he's with you always till the end of the age. It is within that context that the Kingdom Work for Christ online radio show has been interviewing and, and delving into environments and looking at ways in which the gospel is being spread today. A lot of times we can think, oh, I got to be a full-time minister, or I got to be an organized ministry, or I got to be part of this in order to do the will of God. But every single day we have a beautiful opportunity to do that. And every single day the Lord is is asking us, will you trust me? Will you do my will? Will you be infectious as a mom taking care of your kids at home? Will you you be infectious for the sake of my kingdom in that environment where you are training people? Will you be infectious for the sake of the kingdom in that environment where you're unemployed? Will you be infectious for the sake of the kingdom when you are at your wit's end and chronic illness has been ravaging your body? Will you be my representative? Will you be my representative when people are gossiping? And can you be the prison warden to the gossip that is taking place so that my kingdom, my will will continue to be done? Will you be my representative? And kingdom work for Christ. And the reason, very specific reason why it's called work is because this is not just about knowing the business of the Father. It's not just about understanding kingdom mindset. It's about actually doing It's about actually getting the implementation part down It takes effort It is a full-time job And it is something that over and over and over again needs to be done In a way that is calculated, purposeful But most importantly, Christ-centered and Holy Spirit-led So that's what Kingdom Work for Christ is On this show, we've talked about gossip, we've talked about chronic illness We've talked about a slew of things Today... We are going to delve into the environment of race, culture, and diversity. So some of you may be sitting on the edge of your seat right about now thinking, oh, my goodness, she is not going to go there. I've been watching the news. I've been seeing people yell at each other. I've been seeing this. I've been seeing that. And, and to those of you who, who maybe, you know, that wall maybe went up in like two seconds, <laughs> know this we're about to talk about this topic in a Christ-centered manner. We're about to talk about this topic in a way that should be uh, should be addressed when it comes to doing this in a way that has kingdom impact. On this show I want to be clear, I am not interested in playing politics. On this show I am not interested in playing he said she said I'm the victim, you're the offender, whatever, whatever, whatever. That is not what the show is about. This show is about the body of Christ getting first and foremost back on our knees about this issue. This show is about the body of Christ, the members of the body of Christ, the beautiful, diverse members of the body of Christ coming together and saying, you know what? Enough is enough. We're going to actually respond in a kingdom-centered fashion, in a Christ-centered fashion, in such a way that the kingdom of heaven can impact this dirty environment. And I say dirty because that is, unfortunately, the times in which we're in. And so I, 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 I think this is a beautiful, a beautiful way in which the body of Christ can really get a chance to actually practice being a Christian. Not just hearing the concepts that we hear at church, not just being in the Word of God, not just praying, not just conception, but actually practice on a day-to-day basis, responding from a Christ-centered manner. What is culture in heaven? And what can we learn from that culture? Let's turn to Revelation 4. Starting with verse 1 says, After this, and this is John speaking, he says, after this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. The first voice which I had heard speaking to me was like a trumpet and it said, come up here. I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne And he who sat there, he had the appearance of of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne there were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garment with golden crowns on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. Around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures, full of eyes in the front and, in, and behind. The first living creature, like a lion, the second living creature, like an ox, The third living creature, like the face of a man. And then the fourth living creature was like an eagle in flight. Talk about diversity, right? Paint that picture. The four living creatures, each of them, six wings, were full of eyes all around and within, full of eyes. And day and night, they never ceased to say, holy, holy, Holy Is the Lord God Almighty You know the hymn Holy 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 God Almighty Who Was And Is And Ever Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who's seated on that throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, who's seated on the throne, and they worship him, who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, worthy are you, our Lord, our God. To receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things, and by your will, they existed and were created. What's the culture in heaven? It's the diversity in heaven. What is the race in heaven? We'll get to that a little later. Let's look at our primary allegiance. Turn with me to Philippians three verses twelve through twenty one, starting with verse twelve. Not that I have already obtained this and I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made his own. This is Paul speaking. He says, Brothers, do not I do not consider that I've made it on my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, is that I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. My prayer for us as we get ready to delve into this environment, I really pray that we press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that we press on to actually be the kingdom workers for Christ in this environment, that we press on to take the higher ground at the expense of looking like we are not as quote-unquote advocating for one issue versus another or at the expense of seeming like we are too aggressive about this issue or too passionate about this issue. Whatever it will take for people Understand that God's heart in this is to have his body actually be Christ-centered so we can deal with this issue of race, culture, and diversity in this this world. And so that is that upper call of God in Christ Jesus. And he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join me in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have for many of whom I have to- often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemy of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Then they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I pray that as we get into this specific environment, that for many... Whom I've told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. I pray that if there are people disguising their response to any of this environment as Christian, and it is not Christ centered, my prayer is that we will have the eyes, the ears, the heart, the senses of the Lord Jesus Christ to address it with grace and in a manner that can be both informative, transformative, but productive for the sake of the kingdom. Because in this time, it is due time that we remain Christ-centered in this issue. The reason I wanted to bring this up also is because our primary allegiance in Philippians three twelve through 21, and this is all within the context here, Philippians 3 is all within the context of spiritual gifts, and that is exactly what it's going to take in this environment for us to have an impact that is kingdom-centered, that is God-centered. It's going to take the spiritual gifts of the saints of God to come alongside and have responses that are not masking what we're about to talk about. Trust me, we're going to get real on this show but that are actually addressing the differences that are addressing the injustices that are addressing the miscommunications that are addressing the misunderstandings, but in such a way that the message of the gospel is still center in such a way that Christ Jesus and the hope of the glory of Christ Jesus is still actually preached. Right. And a lot of times I hear this and I hear about this environment and it's such a, it's done in such a defeatist attitude that it's like, wait a minute, it's a good time to be a Christian. This is a good environment to be a Christian in, right? because we actually get to practice what it means to have the gospel penetrate people's hearts it's a it's it's a courage anyways um, I am mean, not get too excited so our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. He will transform by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians twelve, eighteen through 27. So what is the culture in heaven? The culture in heaven is such that God's incredible power, provision, glory, center of it all is primary is center and is the focus and so as different as these creatures are from these elders and as different as even within the creatures side of the creature is as different as the next side of the creature is as different as the other side of the creature is different than the angels that are in heaven i mean all these there's so much differences right so much diversity In heaven, but yet in the midst of that, in Revelations four, we see that the center, the real center of heaven, the actual culture of heaven, is all about that throne. It's all about that God, who's amazing, and we have so much to learn from that. Because that, that diversity that is in heaven is a diversity that we have here. And that diversity we have here can be a diversity that brings a richness in worship in such a way that we can fall before the throne no matter what part of the body we are. 1 Corinthians twelve eighteen through 27 says this. It says, as it is, God arranged the members of the body and each one of them as he chose If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I I have no need for you. Nor could the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow greater Honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greatest modesty, greater, excuse me, modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. And there may be no division, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. And hear me here. Hear me on verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. He didn't say you are the body, period, and everyone is the same. He said you are the body of Christ and then individually you're members of it. There is a recognition of the different parts of the body. There's a recognition of the differences within the body parts. There's a recognition of the fact that God has very specifically and purposefully placed and, and crafted the body in such a way that together it functions as a unit and separate and apart from each other, they have differences. Okay. But in that there is perfection and in that there's order. And most importantly, in that there's kingdom purpose. Where are the members of the body of Christ Who are seeing what is happening When it comes to race, culture, diversity And who are reacting in a Christ-centered manner Who are responding to these issues With respect to race, culture, and diversity In a Christ-centered manner Where are those who are reaching out the hands Where are they who are responding In a Christ-centered manner Where are those who see Speak with grace and wisdom that can only come from God. The mouthpieces, right? Where are those and who are responding in a Christ-centered manner? Where are the members of the body who are willing to respond in a Christ-centered manner by being the heart, by being the ones who, who understand and can empathize in such a way with people's lives that they draw people nearer to Christ? Where are those people in the midst of this environment? That's what we're going to be dealing with over the next few weeks. And the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is that in this environment, God is so active, so incredibly active in this environment. And I'm not just talking about the United States. I'm not trying to be United States centric on this because let me tell you. The way in which the Lord is affecting and transforming lives around the globe in such a way that people who are from completely different cultures and backgrounds. And I'm talking about, for example, people who are from Muslim backgrounds or Hindu backgrounds, right, who, who were not exposed to the message of the gospel are being transformed. And sometimes God is using people who grew up with Christianity as part of their journey, right? And yet at some point made a choice for themselves to invite Jesus as Lord and Savior into their life. And so God is acting. He's acting in such a marvelous, transformative way among and between and across cultures. And it's so incredible and amazing to see when you start to put the Christ-centered Perspective on this, but not just perspective, but actually look at the metric, measurable ways in which God is having effect, is infectious, is a transform- transformative in this environment of race, culture, and diversity. It's a great time to be a Christian. And I'm not, again, we're going to get real on this show. I'm not trying to be a la la land optimist talking about everything is awesome. No, no, no. But I'm saying that even in the most impossible situations, the Lord God is putting his hand of grace, his hand of truth, his hand of control. He's putting all these amazing parts of his character in the midst of that through people, outside even of people, in such a way that it is transforming environments. Now, some may get upset with me at this next one. If you're not already upset, and if you are, that is not my intent. But my intent is for us to really get Christ-centered about this environment. And like I said to you, I, I wrestled. I definitely wrestled about this show. But our primary identities when it comes to being Christ followers ought to be, what's my race? My primary race? God's. What's my culture, my primary culture? The kingdom. Is God's kingdom, is that God's kingdom body diverse? Oh, you bet. You bet. But not only is it diverse, it's got different functions, right? We see in Revelations 4, we see the angel guiding John through the vision, helping him to see so that he can write this in such a way that his Holy Spirit led so that you and I can be talking about the glimpse of the kingdom of heaven that he got, right? And yet the other functionality is of the, of the living creatures and they're around the throne and there's thunder, there's lightning. And then you get the elders who are on their thrones too, but around the throne and everything is, is just so diverse. I mean, there's so much color to this one chapter. Right, And the entire bit of Revelation is just just beautiful. A beautiful picture of how God's kingdom has a richness and a diversity, a a very intricate richness and diversity. And at the same time, they are not diverse when it comes to their focus. They're not diverse when it comes to their purpose. They're not diverse when it comes to their relentless worship. Every single one of these bow before that throne at the center of heaven may every single one of us as a body of Christ as far apart as we are in our opinions as far apart as we are in our experiences as far apart as we may be in our diverse backgrounds and and our intellect and our and all that and we'll talk about the layers of diversity later on in the show as far as we may be may all of us have a central focus when it comes to worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. May we bow before that throne. May he be central in our life, first and foremost. Let me tell you something. As soon as we start doing that, the people around us, no matter what their diversity may be, their background, their race, their culture, the people that God wants to impact are going to come together. And when they come together, if it is in a Christ-centered manner, one day you will take a look around and you will realize that God had a touch of heaven manifested on earth. I've been really blessed to be a part of a group of women um, who we started meeting together regularly in 2010, and and you know on and off it's been people have come come and and gone, and myself included, but that. The way in which it came together was because of the faithfulness, primarily of one woman who had a vision, and she had a vision to have a smaller group come together. And that vision wasn't wasn't quite what the Lord had in mind. (laughs) Does that sound familiar? I mean, every time we're like, God, this is my to-do list, he just laughed at us. So that didn't really come to fruition, but what came to fruition was it was double the size she was thinking about. It was a completely diverse group of people in terms of their relationship with the Lord, their background, their everything. Even, you know, I think it was like five to six churches represented, and and it was such a beautiful glimpse of heaven in many respects. And not that it's been easy or anything like that, you know, people, we we all have our things, but... When I look back at the way in which this this sister in Christ, Bonnie, had this vision, and then she reached out to another sister in Christ, Elisa, who who said, yep, I'll come alongside. And Elisa reached out uh, to me, and and we said, yep, we're going to come alongside and help facilitate this group. And then all of a sudden, there were 12 of us. And that first day we met, we were all from different backgrounds in terms of our um, uh, uh, our religious experiences with Jesus. Completely different backgrounds. But on top of that, we had different backgrounds in, in terms of race and, 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 and I think the age span was like 50 years. It was just amazing how God had, had, had made manifest a touch of heaven. on you. And yes, there, there, there were trials. No, no, my point is that if we stayed centered on Jesus he will bring people in our lives that will impact our lives for a lifetime. Where are the people willing to respond in a Christ-centered manner in the midst of this environment when it comes to race, culture, diversity? Now, just because our primary identities of race, culture, and diversity right, are, are, are Christ-centered, does not mean that we are relinquishing our physical race, physical culture, contributions to diversity. Absolutely not. Again, if we go back to that Revelations 4, there's a richness, there's a diversity in heaven, right? It's not, it's not saying everyone was the same and they all bowed to, to God. No. There's a diversity. There's a richness, Right. So for me, absolutely, we're not relinquishing our physical race. I am a black American woman who has a background who's half from Ivory Coast, the country, by the way, and half from India, okay? And when we come to India, we're, we're really talking about Mauritius, and, and India was further back in the background. My point is this. There is an identity in who I came from, here on earth, right? My my beautiful mom and my wonderful dad. And at the time they conceived me, I'm very grateful to God that he decided that that background was going to be in my, you know, in, 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 in my past as to what I came from. And there's no reason to deny that. There's no reason to relinquish that. But my primary identity, don't get it twisted, is in God. My primary identity helps me to get through some of the insecurities that I would have outside of that identity when it comes to interacting with people of other race, other cultures, and who bring something different to the table in terms of, of diversity. So, yes. Absolutely, we are acknowledging our physical race, our physical culture, our physical contribution to diversity, but it is always within the context of that primary identity, that primary race, that primary culture, that primary contribution to diversity. I am culturally pretty much the UN. (laughs) I say it jokingly, obviously, but there's just so many, you know, cultural experiences that I've personally had that I just jokingly said I'm I'm culturally the UN, you know, so I actually joke around because during the daytime um, where God has me positioned is in the technical industry and um, my boss will be talking about how everyone is my people, right? I always call people my people. And and I do because I I genuinely through the lenses of Jesus Christ am able to see everyone as a beautiful brother and a beautiful sister. And I can say that now don't get it wrong, I have my mood swings, I have my moments, right? (laughs) Where I don't I don't necessarily like my brother as I should in Christ, but but my duty is to love people as Christ loves people is to look and consider every single person I encounter as someone who is already a member of the body of Christ or could potentially one day be. And the hard part is that that includes people in my life who have hurt me and who continue to hurt me still take in looking at them as brothers and sisters. that. Is what happens when our primary identity becomes Christ centered instead of world centered. What is my contribution to diversity? Well, I con- contribute to diversity in race, in culture, in age, in intellect, in interests, in emotions, among others. I find it really fascinating a lot of times when we talk about diversity how we have taken a 2D view on something that is so complex. It's not just race. It's not just culture. Diversity has to do with absolutely considering race, absolutely considering culture, but definitely considering age, intellect, interests, emotions, all that. And the beautiful thing is because God knows our hearts when we are God centered, he'll bring that richness. He'll bring that diversity along. Now, One of the things that I have found very interesting, and and I I can be a bit of a news junkie, and that's, you know, personally, I think it's important to stay informed um, from from different angles as well. And so in the process of doing that, I've I've seen the way in which race relations have been handled on television. I've seen the way in which cultural relations have been handled. And a lot of times there's a pigeonholing when it comes to race, and it's, you know, it's, it's talks about three or four major categories of race. And a lot of times what is what is often sadly forgotten is the recent immigrant experience. And what is sadly forgotten is cultural diversity or even age diversity or intellectual diversity or emotional diversity, and there are just so many layers, and, and it, unfortunately, when it comes to pigeonholing and, and sticking, you know, race as, oh, black and white, or black, white, Hispanic, or, you know, pick your, pick, pick your category, unfortunately, it can be, it can make this into a 2D issue when it goes a lot deeper than that, and so on this show, what we'll do is we'll hear different perspectives from different, um, you know, different Americans. are different, even immigrants to this country, recent immigrants, um, as opposed to more established immigrants, because let's be serious, unless you are 100% Native American, you're an immigrant to this country. How is that different from being an immigrant to this world? The Bible tells us that our home is not here. Our home is an eternity. Our home awaits us. How is that different from being an immigrant to this world? So now let's start talking about the how. How are we as kingdom worker for Christ going to emulate the culture of heaven as glimpsed in Revelations 4? How are we going to emulate the, the allegiance to heaven as we saw a glimpse of in Philippians 3? How are we going to be able to emulate that? as it relates to working together as a body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12? Well, it's going to start with authenticity and relationship. I think one of the biggest fallacies that we have today is that we are trying to deal with an issue that has evolved in a world where communication has evolved, right? Yet we're trying to use the approaches of the past. And so what do I mean by that? we are dealing in an environment where where information is so accessible and it is information overload right and so we're hearing a lot and so in that information overload type of world a lot of times the approaches are more advocacy on a mass level more information on a mass level more and these things are important there's nothing wrong with it but if it's the only approaches that we are taking we are not doing anything that is productive as it relates to real transformation for the sake of the kingdom of god here's something to think about a lot of the laws and now i'm going to take it to the u.s a lot of the laws on the books have been cleaned up or are in the process of being cleaned up and really that's going to continue for a while but if you think about it that the written stuff right the grotesque racism is 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 being dealt with what we are experiencing today has to do with the implementation right how do we carry out the day-to-day in many respects that's not something that can be addressed by just more information that's a hard issue the reason why i'm so passionate about the gospel being brought back to the center of this issue is because when it comes to race, when it comes to culture, when it comes to diversity, Jesus is the only real solution. Why? Because I can tell you how to act, and you can maybe try to do it out of discipline for a few. But at the end of the day, if your heart isn't transformed, eventually you're going to go and default back to your habits. Jesus is the only one capable of penetrating someone's heart. And if we're going to deal with issues of diversity, if we're going to deal with issues of race, we're going to deal with issues of culture, we need to be able to do it from a way that is Christ-centered so that Christ, the only one who changes people's hearts, can be in the midst of that in such a way that it will have kingdom impact. So the first thing we can effectively do as kingdom workers for Christ is we can authentically pray for people and then we can authentically seek relationships with people. And I'm not talking about drive-by relationships whereby we go and we hang out twice a year and then we see we see that as real relationships. And unfortunately, when we start investing and really following God's leading to foster relationships, it will come at the cost of other relationships that are not God-led. Falling to the wayside, and I'm not talking about neglecting those relationships, but I'm talking about also being realistic about our boundaries and understanding that we're one person, right? And so at the end of the day, some relationships, unfortunately, will not have the the complete amount of time that you're investing maybe in others, but here's the deal. We are dealing with something that needs to be done on a one-on-one basis, or at least on a small group basis. This is not something that's going to be done on a mass level. Let's go out, you know, and, 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 and stage a protest and then keep it at that. Now, if you're staging a protest, more power to you. Absolutely, information is important. But in addition to the protest, what are you doing that is boding kingdom impact? Are you building relationships with people from other cultures, other races, other... Um, you know people who bring other aspects of diversity to the table so that they can better understand so that you can have fellowship friendship together but more importantly so that both of you can kneel further before the throne so more people will come to know jesus as lord and savior are we doing that and if we're not doing that we're failing on a major major basis especially as christ followers and kingdom workers for christ so the second thing is to let people into the doorway of our lives, right? It's one thing to say, oh, we should be acting like this, or we should be doing this, or you should be doing that, or I should be doing that. But if people don't have an entryway into our lives, if people don't see authenticity in the way we walk, if people don't can't count on us, then they don't know that the doorway to heaven was opened in our lives in such a way that brings eternal life. And they certainly do not have a way to understand how this is practically being applied here on earth as it is in heaven. So let's let people into the doorway of our lives. Let's let people into the doorway of our lives who don't look like us, who don't think like us, who don't culturally come from backgrounds like ours, let's let people into the doorway of our lives who don't have the same opinions we do. Let's let people into the doorway of our lives who are who are confused about what we're talking about, who want nothing to do with really uncomfortable conversations like this. Let's let them into the doorway of our lives first in a relationship manner, in a one-on-one manner, so that within that context, the good news of Jesus Christ can impact the environment of race, culture, diversity. Let's leverage our experience to understand others. The longest time I kept saying, you know what? I don't know what it feels like to be sunburned. I've never been sunburned. I'm black. <laughs> and my friends <laughs> who, My friends are like, uh, you still need sunscreen. I'm like, I don't need sunscreen. I'm black. Okay. And then I went to Miami and Miami sun is real. <laughs> and so when I went to Miami, I realized that Oh, peeling does, does actually kind of make sense, but I can truthfully say that I still don't know what it actually means to be sunburned, and my understanding is it's the equivalent of being burnt, like, like, like major degree burns, right, if you stay in the sun too long. Now, here's an example of what I'm talking about. Let's leverage our experiences to understand others. I don't know what it's like to be sunburned, but I know what it's like to be burned, and it does not feel good right? So I can use my experience, I can leverage the experience of being burnt to better understand what it's like to be sunburned. How neat would it be if the body of Christ could, in addition to praying, could, in in addition to letting people in our lives and actually building relationships with one another, not having an agenda, but just genuinely wanting to know one another, right? After we did these things, When it comes time to really get into these hard topics like the one we're dealing with today, how neat would it be to be able to, when a a person tells me that they have never felt ever in their life discriminated against, how neat would it be for me to then take that statement and say, in which way can I understand where they're coming from? In which way? You know what? I have never been sunburned before. And so to me, that is a very foreign concept. And the only way in which I can understand what it's like to be sunburned is if I can leverage the experience of having been burnt before. Oh, here it is. Let me communicate to that person who tells me they don't understand how I'm able to understand what it's like to be sunburned. Maybe they will be able to then leverage their experience to understand what it's like for me to tell them that I've been discriminated against. Does that make sense? We have a beautiful opportunity once we've prayed for people, once the Holy Spirit has led them into our lives and us into their lives, we have let them through the doorway of our lives, then we have a beautiful opportunity to actually speak in spirit and in truth to one another. Know to pick your battles. Not every single thing that people say is going to be Correct not according to our own experiences. And I'm not talking about politically correct or sensitivities and and all this, because unfortunately, like I said in the beginning of the show, I have zero interest in getting political about this topic. I want us to stay Christ-centered about this, right? But I'm talking about that there are things people are going to say that are going to strike a chord, right, of offense, and we can either address them right in the in, in the midst of when they're saying what they're trying to say, or we can choose to pick our battles. And a lot of times what I will personally do is I will listen to the whole context. And I'll pray for them as I'm listening to the context, Right, especially if I'm getting angry as I'm listening to the context. I'll say, Lord, please help me. Please help me. And, and, and within that, then I have the ability to say, OK something that can be addressed. There's something that can't. You will have heard on this show multiple times when I have interviews with people, and I don't necessarily call out every single thing, and I've heard criticism about it, and I I humbly accept it, and I humbly um, consider it, but I will also let you know that the reason why is because I pick and choose my battles because I try to be very Holy Spirit led about what to address because I want them to understand in a spirit of grace that this is not a show where I'm going to literally be nitpicking about every single thing they're saying, but this is a show where I genuinely want people to authentically tell their stories. And so that's an example of how I pick my my battles. And to some, to some, I have actually had conversations after the show, you know, one-on-one in a way that, that, they can receive it or hope, hopefully receive it um but that's just one example of how how do you pick your battles right you you can't necessarily pick on every single thing it's like when i was learning english one thing that people used to do is some people would correct as i was speaking and then i would lose my train of thought and when i lost my train of thought i was less likely to remember the correction that they had given me and the bottom line is this for the people who actually listened and after i stopped then they would say hey for this, this is how we say it in the U.S., that would be more effective. In many respects, maybe we can learn from that as well. And then the, the last thing, as kingdom workers for Christ, we can do is to ask how, what is the kingdom impact here? First, What is the personal impact here? Are we willing to be misunderstood in the world? If that means that we're going to be infectious and effective for the sake of the kingdom. Am I, Emma, willing to be misunderstood by people who either either look like me racially or like me culturally or, you know, whatever it is? Am I willing to be misunderstood if that means that I am staying Christ-centered in my approach to this? That's the final question as we get ready to um, to do something something a little bit uh, along the lines of, 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 of what I'm talking about here, okay? So first, let's pray for people authentically. Two, let's actually do relationship with people. Let's fellowship with one another in such a way that is authentic. And then three, let's leverage our experiences to understand others. Four, let's. Let's know when to pick our battles. And five, let's always ask, what is the kingdom impact versus personal impact here? And along those lines, am I willing to be misunderstood to the world if that means being clarifying for the sake of the kingdom of God? So in that vein, I'm going to let you through the doorway of my life. I'm going to read a little bit from um, something that I I published um, last year in a compilation, and it is a little bit about my life story. It's a little bit about my experiences in immigrating here, and the reason I want to share that is because I want to let you know that this this show is not to say, this is the only way you can do this, and if you're not doing it this way, then you're wrong, but it's really to, to give you an idea of where I'm coming from, what what my background is. And and humbly to ask you to pray about what God will have you do when it comes to this environment. Let's not bury it and not talk about it. Let's not look at it and say people who are you know out and 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 advocating and protesting and 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 all that that they're wrong and they don't know what they're doing. Let's not limit this and and and, and minimize this to political correctness you know, and a battle against political correctness or, or for political correctness. Let's not do that. Let's actually deal with these issues. Let's actually talk to one another in a Christ-centered manner. Let's look at this in a way that is, that brings Jesus at the center so real transformation can take place. The chapter is called Keep Going. The cold air permeated my skin as I sank at, and sank into my inner core as I began a new life in unfamiliar territory. It was 70 degrees, and I was freezing. How did I end up here? It all started when I was 11. My life until then had been predictable, stable, and a respite. At a young age, I was privileged to experience the benefits of money, parental affection, stellar education, incredible cultural exposure. I had a life any young girl may have wanted. I was born and raised in Abidjan, Côte d'Ivoire, a French-speaking country in the continent of Africa. I attended Notre-Dame, an all-girls Catholic school. My daily routine was rather mundane. You get up, put on the private Catholic school uniform, get a ride to school, once at school, face the rigors of a rigid curriculum, misbehaved occasionally, and in my humble opinion, of course, And then was reprimanded in various ways that included a frequently used tool, corporal punishment. Yeah, they they hid in Coast man. They didn't care. I was there till I was 11. So after a morning of learning, we would eat lunch, nap, and then continue the day's lesson. On weekends, we would visit the fun-filled beaches of Grand Bassam and ensuring that we paid a visit to Uncle Marcel, who owned an exceptional grill on the beach. The fish was so fresh, the meat was succulent, and the waves refreshing beneath the hot sun of the equatorial city. When I was 11, in the midst of this stability, my parents decided to move permanently to the United States. I was devastated. I was equally panicked about leaving my buddies, Natalie, Vasily, Jérôme, Frédéric, Jean-François. We had all grown up together and were practically family. My entire foundation, who I was and what I thought I would be and do, had been built there, and people knew who I was. Moreover, I, I had just accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. When during a timeout, I defiantly opened the only book that was available in my room, the Bible, Now, side note, joke's on me The Lord captured my heart that day That's how I came to faith So my questions at 11 was What would faith mean in America? Oh, I had more questions than I had answers We hopped on a plane with my parents Betty, my five-year-old sister And Winnie, my seven-month-old sister I was convinced my parents had made a terrible mistake in late summer of 1994, we landed to approximately 7 degrees, and I was bundled up in a bumble- bubble jacket because the cold was unbearable. Cote d'Ivoire was consistently a familiar 80 to 90 degrees, so the cool breeze of Virginia felt like the blistery, blizzard wind of the Arctic ice caps. We went to McDonald's next to Breezeway Motel in Fairfax, and $27 later, we had indulged in the Golden Arches finest and greatest breakfast and we're loving it (laughs) yep we were fresh off the plane and did not know any better my first year in Vienna Virginia was very difficult I was embittered by the lack of choice I had in moving I was verbally bullied at school I had no friends until the middle of sixth grade and I owned two shirts and two pairs of jeans My version of being dressed up was when my mom's selection of two outfits that emulated 70s attire and eyewear ended up on me. Yep, wrong time, wrong place, 20 years too late (laughs) in 70s attire. Honestly, sixth grade kids were brutally honest and flat out mean at times. I used to walk to and from school in tears most days. And within a couple of months, I had given up on even changing shirts every day. What was the point? They all hated me anyways. Yet, the Lord was near. And he allowed me to, at the very least, get up every day and keep going. Thankfully, in the midst of this, God still loved me. And he sent two angels, a loving music teacher, Miss Sylvia Taylor and my first US friend Beth Schleifer. She open-mindedly welcomed me. They open-mindedly welcomed me, and I was very grateful for Miss Taylor because in Catholic school I was told I did not have a good singing voice. But yet she stated otherwise, and she encouraged me to pursue music by giving me my first music award at the end of 6th grade. In addition, I had a a piece that the choir sang that I had composed called You Got to Believe. I was tremendously blessed by Beth's friendship because God had used her to give me hope for a future in a country that seemed so somber at the time. Seventh grade was off to a rocky start because we moved from Vienna to Fairfax. Uh, I just didn't understand cultural norms. I was still learning English. I had failed a literacy Virginia literacy test a couple of times despite having a mandatory requirement at home to watch or listen to two hours of English TV or radio, instead of signing up for English as a second language. One morning, I decided that enough was enough, and so I combined my passion for music with my need to learn English. I engaged in memorizing lyrics to hip-hop songs, the faster the better, and so with an understanding of certain songs, I became friends with a few people, and before I knew it, I was part of a group of friends. Perhaps rebuilding community in the U.S. was possible. Mm, this country was starting to grow on me, despite my lack of choice in coming here. In 1996, my little brother Frank was born. My parents tried to have a boy three times. I thought, actually hoped, that they were done having kids after my beautiful sister Winnie, because I had my fair share of changing diapers as the older sister. So imagine my surprise when mom informed me that I was going to have yet another sibling. Oh, by the way, did I mention that mom was seven months pregnant when she shared this news? Uh Uh-huh. Now picture a toddler having a tantrum. Yeah, then make it a reality because that was me. (laughs) I was furious. My attitude was drastically changed. But then this little man was born. Mm, Frankie was an exceptional bundle of joy from the get-go. He had so much energy, humor, it just surpassed anything we've ever experienced. While my parents immigrated to the U.S. with enough money to build a strong foundation here, it it was extremely difficult for them to retain the same professional status compared to what they had left in Cote d'Ivoire. And so they hit a crossroad with a choice to cover themselves with the robe of humility and agree to rebuild from the ground up or to remain stubborn under the facade of stability backed by pride. They unfortunately ended up crumbling under the weight of pride. Both mom and dad grew up in villages across oceans from one another. Mom in Mauritius, dad in Cote d'Ivoire. By the grace of Christ, they had overcome poverty. They had traveled around the world when they met in Paris, decided to marry and start a family in the busy metropolitan city of Abidjan. Given their backgrounds, I can only imagine how tough the crossroads between choosing humility or pride must have been. I'm going to stop here today and say this. I have let you in a very vulnerable fashion into the doorway of my life. And the reason I did that is as an example of how if we are going to have real conversations with people about real issues like race, culture, diversity, we're going to need to start putting our walls down and being more authentic with one another. It's a lot harder to do this in a drive-by fashion like we have been doing or just approaching this from a mass information approach. It will take us discipling. It will take us doing one-on-ones. It will take time. But it is time well spent, and it is time that is worth it. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being yours. Thank you that as we continue to delve into this topic over the next few weeks, your divine hands will be in the midst. Lord, we don't pretend to have any answers. We really don't. But we do know that you have all of them, and in that we have faith. Thank you for the power you bring to the table, Lord. The power to affect transformation in people's hearts. When your hearts search the earth to see whose eyes are turned towards you, may our hearts be turned towards you, Lord. We adore you, King. Amen. If you've tuned in and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, know that the Lord is pursuing you. This is not a coincidence. If you want to know more? Please send us an email at contact at kingdomworkforchrist.com. We'll listen, we'll pray for you. If you want um, even resources on, on ways to keep up uh, with, with, with the Bible, keep up with devotionals while you're looking for a home church, we're more than happy to help you to do that. But know that God is pursuing you. For those of you listening in who are believers in Jesus Christ, continue to fall fall deeper and deeper in love with him. And thank you so much for tuning in. It's been a pleasure serving you in this way. I love you dearly, and I can't wait to continue to talk to you next time. In the meantime, bye-bye.